0: Hey, this is Josh Levine, the host of One Year. I hope you're enjoying our season on 1986. This week, we have a story from senior producer Evan Chung.
1: About halfway through Ronald Reagan's first
0: term as president, the
1: country got an unexpected warning.
2: President Reagan and the American people were told this today. The educational foundations of our country are presently being eroded by a rising tide of mediocrity that threatens our very future as a nation and a people.
1: Those words came from a report from the National Commission on Excellence in Education. It was called A Nation at Risk, and it was a chilling look at the state of the country's schools. American kids were incapable of solving math problems or writing essays. On all sorts of academic tests, they were placing dead last among industrialized nations.
3: If an unfriendly
4: foreign power had attempted to impose on America this mediocre educational performance, they wrote, we might have viewed it as an act of war.
1: The commission called for an immediate increase in federal funding. Reagan wasn't having it. He actually wanted to abolish the Department of Education. I believe that parents, not
5: government, have the primary responsibility for the education of their children.
1: As the 1984 campaign ramped up, Reagan's Democratic opponent, Walter Mondale, pounced, hammering him for investing in ballistic missiles rather than kids.
2: While he's willing to fight for the death, for the MX, he won't lift a finger for education.
1: The president was on the defensive now, and the race was getting testy.
2: The White House said today that President Reagan in a speech last week was not suggesting that Walter Mondale is a jackass.
1: Feeling vulnerable? Reagan launched an education blitz. He argued for merit pay for teachers, more homework, and stricter discipline. Thank you. On August 27, 1984, he touted his proposals at an award ceremony for school administrators.
5: You know, the jobs of principal and president are somewhat alike. (laughs) When
1: a Congress leaves town, it's no accident. We call it a recess. (laughs) He hit his usual talking points about the tired philosophy of government knows best. But then, 15 minutes in, he dropped the boldest proposal of the campaign. It's long been a goal of our space shuttle, the program
5: to someday carry citizen passengers into space. Today, I'm directing NASA to begin a search to choose as the first citizen passenger in the history of our space program, one of America's finest, a teacher.
6: I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth. When I turn on the switch to the bathroom, the radio automatically comes
1: on. Kathleen Beers was getting ready to head into the Maryland high school where she taught.
6: And I could have sworn I heard something about President Reagan sending a teacher into space.
3: He said he's directed the National Air and Space Administration to begin searching for a teacher from the nation's elementary or secondary schools.
6: Well, I thought, my gosh, maybe I was just dreaming this.
1: When she got to work, her principal assured her that this was no dream.
6: He looks at me and he says, wow, did you hear that this morning? This one's for you.
1: Kathleen was famous at school for how she spent her summer vacations. One year, she got helicoptered onto a glacier in Greenland. Another time, She crossed rickety rope bridges on Annapurna in the Himalayas.
6: And then it was the transatlantic crossing in a 31-foot sailboat. And, um, oh yes, Kilimanjaro in East Africa. You know, the wanderlust. I just feel like it's either you get it or you don't.
1: One person who didn't get it was her mother.
6: Oh my gosh. This is the lady that would not go in a tent in a sporting goods store.
1: Her mom always worried that something would go wrong. But Kathleen figured out a way to soften the blow.
6: I would take her to dinner. It was a special dinner to tell my mom what I was gonna do for the summer.
1: But this time, her mom had figured out the routine and she didn't wanna wait for the entrees.
6: She said to me, why don't you just tell me now before we order? She says, well, you've been on all the mountains, You've been on all the continents. I don't know, the only thing left is space. And she gives a big laugh. And I said, well, mom, it's space.
1: Kathleen and tens of thousands of other teachers across America were competing. But only one would win the prize, a seat aboard the Space Shuttle Challenger.
2: A flight into space for an ordinary citizen. It's not a dream anymore, it's going to happen. Some classrooms may never be the same.
4: I didn't care how I got there, I just wanted to go into space. (laughs) I would go to Mars today if I could.
7: You do have to realize, you're sitting on this incredible machine, but it's a dangerous adventure.
1: On this week's episode, the teachers who put everything into one goal, elevating their profession to unprecedented heights. This is one year, 1986, the ultimate field trip. A NASA task force had been looking into the possibility of sending a private citizen to space since 1982. Their report was optimistic. But they cautioned that it might be viewed as a public relations gimmick. They were right.
3: This is just another uh, stage kind of situation to try to, to win the vote of the teachers. And sending one teacher to the moon will not win the vote of the teachers in this country.
1: That's the president of America's largest teachers' union. She derided Reagan's plan as a campaign stunt. But there were plenty of teachers who didn't care about his motivations. For them, NASA was offering the opportunity of a lifetime.
2: There are about two million teachers on the ground in the United States, and one of them is going into space. And you can imagine that has caused quite an enormous amount of excitement. 500,000 applications will be available to teachers who are determined to live out a dream
1: we're going to turn over the rest of this episode to three teachers who shared that dream.
6: I'm Kathleen Beers, and I taught 10th, 11th and 12th grades at Kenwood High School
7: in Baltimore County, Maryland. My name is Bob Forrester and uh, was a science and math teacher in West Lafayette, Indiana.
4: My name is Nikki Wenger. I was a teacher of gifted education in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Somebody once told me that there are two things that all kids are excited about. One is dinosaurs, and one is space. Most people outgrow it, but I just never did. I remember going to the movies every Saturday. We went to town and go to the movies. It was 10 cents. And the Flash Gordon series was every Saturday. It's no use, Flash.
5: retarding rockets don't seem to make any difference. You mean we're going to crash on
4: Mars? (laughs) Yeah, that was when I first got most interested in it. When I was growing up, women weren't allowed to do almost anything. We were allowed to be typists and nurses and teachers, and that was it. So for me personally to ever have the opportunity to go into space just was a dream. But that was what I wanted to do.
7: I remember as a fifth grader back in May of, I think it was 1961, my fifth grade teacher realized that seeing Alan Shepard go up in his Mercury capsule was uh, an important thing to do. Mrs. Routt uh, wheeled in a television, and we watched. All right, uh, lift off, and the clock has started. Yes, sir, reading you loud and clear. I felt this was a turning point that we were going to look at a new age of exploration, and I'm going to be part of it.
6: When I was, what, nine years old or so, you know, the Russians launched Sputnik.
2: It's a report from man's farthest frontier, the first man-made satellite as it passed over New York earlier today.
6: Dad pointed out Sputnik in the backyard, and I saw the satellite, you know, flying overhead. And I was I was hooked. I wanted to fly. And in fact, when the two um, chimpanzees were launched, I asked my parents, I said, well, why are they sending these chimps into space? And they said, well, because they're small. And I said, well, I'm small, I'll go.
2: Applications have been pouring in from all over the country for months, and this week, the selection process has actually begun.
3: With 10,000 applications, state education boards will narrow the field to two candidates per state
6: so NASA can make the final choice. Today, the two Maryland teacher nominees and an alternate were announced. Kathleen Beers of Kenwood Senior High School in Baltimore County. When I got the call that I was one of the two selected from Maryland, I was ecstatic. Kathleen hopes to photograph the outer space experience and bring it back to Earth. To bring science to life to the public, that's the thrill of it.
7: That was a really incredible experience, just feeling it internally. It's like, yes, I got it. <laughs> you know,
4: I'm pinching myself. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. But this was just going to be just the beginning.
5: The semifinalists in NASA's Teacher in Space Project met the press for the first time in Washington, D.C.,
7: and then that's where the next level of selection really got more intense. Turned out there were 114 teachers, two per state, Department of Defense in Washington, D.C., uh, Guam, Puerto Rico, Bureau of, of Affairs.
4: And I had never been surrounded by so many dynamic, exciting teachers. I couldn't believe it. A lot of them
6: had their own TV shows. They had planetariums. They had radio
7: broadcasts. Uh, There's certainly a lot of math science teachers, but there are a lot of you know language arts teachers, English teachers, history teachers,
4: and there were teachers in their 50s. I was 45 when I applied, and there were teachers older than I.
7: But when we got there, it was never like, oh, well, I'm going to figure out a way to you know get ahead of that person or this person. We were just thrilled to be there.
2: The
5: 114 educators selected from over 11,000 applicants spent a week in the nation's capital, becoming familiar with the history of space travel, and of course, taking notes in workshops dealing with various aspects of shuttle flight.
6: Let's we'll get it red hot. The workshops were incredible. We met astronauts, it, it all became really real.
5: Class will come to order.
4: Ronald Reagan was there, we got to be addressed by him.
5: For the lucky one who does go up in the shuttle, I have only one assignment. Take notes, there'll be a quiz after you land.
7: (laughs) We were having fun, we were entertained, but yet it was very serious about filtering out who's going to be selected.
6: NASA really had it orchestrated down to the finest detail. You were being observed the entire
7: week. Some of us even joke like, wow, are they watching us on the elevator?
4: At the meals, there was always a a NASA representative there. And I thought, I don't know if this is going to matter to them, but I want them to know that I do have table manners. (laughs) And then the big night,
6: drumroll, was the judge's reception. And every one of us had different interviewers. Lots of astronauts. Uh, think tank people, corporate
7: executives. But one of the ones that was kind of questionable at first was Pam Dauber.
3: You know, I still can't get over this. I'm sitting here having breakfast with a being from another planet.
7: What a coincidence. So am I. <laughs> Pam played opposite of Robin Williams in the Mork and Mindy a sitcom. I think some of us had this quick feeling like, well, why is Pam Dauber here?
4: And I asked her, I said, why do you think they selected you to be a judge? She said, because she went from unknown to stardom overnight. And that's the way I think
6: NASA saw us, that we were going to reach stardom in a blink of an eye.
7: And Pam's role was to share, you can't go back. This will change your life forever. You have to be prepared for that. Do you still want to do that?
4: But I remember telling her that I thought that Everything I had done in my life so far had prepared me for this, and I was ready. The end of the week was kind of sad. You had been with these
6: people almost 24-7 for the entire week, and you felt like, you know, my gosh, you're probably never gonna see them again.
7: So they, they named us as Teacher in Space Ambassadors.
4: We all were given large duffel bags of equipment to take back to our schools.
7: And that's when they said, now 10 of you will get a call once you get home. We will personally give you a phone call and tell you that you're one of the 10 finalists.
4: And if we weren't called, we would know we weren't one of the 10. So everybody went home, (laughs) nervously, bated breath, the whole experience.
6: I remember unpacking and I couldn't find my camera. I took rolls and rolls of film that week and I thought I had left the camera at the hotel. And I remember getting a call.
7: And the phone rang, and it was the director of the program.
4: She was a NASA person who had handled this whole
7: logistics of the competition. And she goes, "Uh, hi, Bob, Uh, we know why I'm calling.
6: Well, do you know why I'm calling? And I said, yes, I said, you've got my camera. And with that, she said, well, the bad news is, I don't have your camera, but the good news
4: is, you're one of the 10.
7: Well, you're one of the 10.
4: I don't remember what she said, I just remember screaming, saying, oh no, I can't believe it, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. I think the kitchen began to spin. I don't know, I felt like I took seconds to
6: respond.
7: I just said, just a minute, kind of held the phone down, put my hand over the mouthpiece part and just kind of screamed out loud like, yes! <laughs>
4: Well, I will tell you something that not many people know. My brother had given to me this little statue of the shuttle attached to the solid rockets in the whole little system. It was about eh, eight inches tall, metal. And I remember dropping and breaking it. And when that happened, I just had this whole shiver that went through me And at that point in time, I thought, do I really want to do this? And then I thought, well, now you're being silly.
1: Let's take a quick break. Good
4: morning, ladies and gentlemen.
5: This is a very special day
1: for NASA. The Teacher in Space finalists flew back to Washington, D.C. right away. It was time to meet up with the competition, and for the world to meet them.
7: And now
5: I would like to introduce the 10 finalists, Kathleen and Beers.
3: What an impact the first satellite had on me as a nine-year-old that I named my turtle Sputnik. <laughs>
6: At that point we didn't know each other's names, but um,
4: we just said, well here we are.
5: Nikki Mason Wagner.
4: I view this as probably the greatest pioneering venture of all time, and to be a part of it, it's almost indescribable. I sort of tried to evaluate how they would be in the role, and I thought some probably would be better than others.
7: Robert S. Forster. Why is it important that we go up in space? How can we use that, not only as a new frontier, but a new economy, a new place that we can mine some new solutions to old problems. Peggy J. Atlanta, and I think that's when we were looking at Michael each other like, hmm, Becalf, Hayes, Horses, Horses, I wonder which one of it's going to be.
5: Sharon Krista McCullough of Concord High School,
2: Concord, New Hampshire.
3: One of the things that I would like to do when I go aboard the shuttle is to bring back the wonder of it all.
1: Next up for the finalists, was two weeks of testing and training, starting at the Johnson Space Center in Houston.
6: I thought, oh my gosh, you know, here we are, the 10, and is really gonna scrutinize us now if they ever scrutinized us before. We meet with a medical doctor at seven o'clock this evening, and I understand we have around a day and a half of physical testing.
7: It was unfamiliar to us, you know, to have basically every part of us checked out.
6: Yes, and I'm not gonna
4: get into some of it. <laughs>
6: I felt like there wasn't a part of my body that NASA hadn't explored, whether outside or inside.
4: (laughs) As if that's not enough, Kathleen will also take part in some simulated space flights.
6: We went into a a hyperbaric chamber.
7: And uh, then once they close you in this container, then they would start having a vacuum pull out the oxygen.
4: They simulated high altitude and then rapid decompression, and we had to fill out a questionnaire while we are
7: losing oxygen. Write your name, do a simple math problem.
4: So when it was my turn, I remember thinking, this is, there's nothing to this, this is so easy, and I'm answering all these questions, and they're so simple and they're so easy. So we put our mask back on, and I still have the paper that I filled out. It's total gibberish.
7: The instructor said, now you have about 15 seconds if you don't turn on your oxygen, you, you have a high chance of brain damage or death. One of the finalists said, all right, just a minute. I want to try and finish this one problem. I think they were thinking that maybe this makes me look better, you know, if I can go longer. They didn't give that person a chance. They just turned their oxygen back on and said, well, that's what we're talking about. The real strength is in teamwork, not egotists who want to be the standout star.
6: Some left out of there and, and said well, I don't want to do that again.
4: We were having some difficulty dealing with some of the stress. You know, it was really hard in some respects, so we developed a system of secret buddies. We would do little things for our secret buddies, send them a little flower or an encouraging note or a card or something every day to just help us get through the pressure. And that's how we got to be really close. We're still close. Of the ten... I would say I got closest to
6: Krista McAuliffe. Krista and I always wound up together, elbowing each other or giving each other mischievous looks. I don't know, we just clicked. We just became good friends. Uh, For anyone who wishes to respond, do you think that you've survived the tough part,
7: or is the tough part still to come? Well, I think we're all looking forward to the KC-135 flight. Of course, part of the attraction of going into space is to be able to experience weightlessness.
0: There's one way on Earth that you can reproduce the weightlessness that only a handful of people have ever experienced in space, and that's in this plane.
5: On the KC-135.
0: And
2: that's the plane that does parabolic dips and gives you about 20 to 30 seconds worth of weightlessness. So uh, we'll see how people like that real quick.
6: Some of the instructors said, You know you don't see us standing in line to go on board the KC-135.
7: Yes, it's usually referred to as the Vomit Comet.
6: So here we are, nervously chomping on our gum.
7: And when they pull up, you feel like you can't even get off the floor. Your arms are so heavy, you can't lift them. But then as you get to the apex and then you head down again, then all of a sudden you feel yourself getting lighter and lighter, and the next thing you know, you're floating.
6: I was airborne, and I've got the biggest smile
4: that I think I've ever smiled. You're bouncing off the walls, and you're hitting people, and they're hitting you, and there's people all over the place.
7: I went to the back and pushed off, and you know, went flying through the length of the fuselage looking like uh, Clark Kent, <laughs> so...
6: And we sound like kindergartners at recess. <laughs> we're screaming, we're yelling, we're, we're having so much fun.
7: Oh, you just don't want it to end. Come see the, glory of the birthplace of America's space program. Well, we went to uh, Huntsville, Alabama, visited a new enterprise called Space Camp. See Space Camp, Space Shuttle,
5: Space Dome Theater, and tour NASA's largest training and test site area.
7: We wore our
6: flight suits, they gave us all flight suits, and then there was lots of press, lots of media.
2: Of course, they all wanted to go to space before, but now that the possibility of that is very real, well, we'll just ask the teachers.
3: To be up there, to look back at the planet Earth, I just, it's an ultimate trip. It's the ultimate experience of a lifetime.
7: I don't like to use the word celebrities, but we were, I guess, notorious in the news at that point. The thing I can do out there, and that's get kids excited to watch out there and see why this frontier is so valuable. I think it kept settling into us that, wow, this is, this is something that's getting big. John Denver was there. And I-
6: John Denver always wanted to travel in space. Music was his number one love, and number two was space. I guess they should have had the first musician in space.
4: (laughs) But he was with us for part of that day, and of course we're thrilled to death. He gave us all his private phone number. He said, anytime I can do anything for you, you just give me a call? He was just great.
6: One of the last items on our agenda At space camp was to experience the gravity and the centrifuge.
4: This was a giant rotating cylinder. The floor drops away and because you're going so fast you'll hang on to the sides, you stick there. And we were accompanied by some space camp counselors. They were engineering students. They all wore these red flight
6: suits and they would stand on the hand rests for more thrill. And I remember Uh, One particular engineering student was really kind. And he said, is this too tight? And I said, no, you can make it tighter. I don't want to be going anywhere. And so we were all strapped in, ready to go. It was dark in there. And you spin around slowly. And we spun around, you know, faster.
4: All of a sudden, there was a loud boom. I heard a thump, 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 and somebody shrieked. He went over, he went over. All of a sudden, the speed decreased.
6: The lights came on, and I looked up, and oh, my God, the poor young engineer in the red flight suit that was so concerned about strapping me in correctly had catapulted
4: out through the dome and onto the floor and what this student had done, had used his knees to sort of, with his back against the wall of this rotating chamber, had kind of climbed up, and when he got to the top, his enough of his body got over the rim that it threw him off and just got, I, I don't know, and killed him. NASA very quickly rushed us out of there and We were, of course, everybody was completely shaken and just devastated.
1: The person thrown into the ride's machinery was named Gregory Todd Walker. He was a 20-year-old student at Auburn University, working a summer job at space camp. His death in July 1985 got a few paragraphs in the local newspapers, but otherwise wasn't written about that summer. None of the articles mentioned that the teacher and space candidates were there.
4: No, I just felt heartbreak for this kid. But it was terrible. It affected us all. It did. It stuck with us for a long time.
7: Yeah, that was a a dark moment uh, on our trip. (laughs) You know, there's some life and death
1: things that happen here. After the shocking death in Huntsville, The teacher and space finalists flew to Washington, D.C. for their final interviews. Soon, NASA would decide which teacher got to fly aboard the Challenger.
7: The toughest test for the teachers is yet to come. Not weightlessness,
2: but waiting. The decision is expected July the 19th.
1: We're
7: all realizing it's come down to this. I think we all thought it was just up for grabs. The commander of the Challenger flight would be Dick Scobie
2: first two minutes of flight when the solid rocket motors are still attached because of all the fire and brimstone, the whole stack just shakes and vibrates. And it feels like being on a, a rough railroad track on a runaway freight train or something.
7: And we went to Dick Scobie's hotel room.
6: He stared and met with each of our eyes. And he said, there are no guarantees for round trips. And it's one hell of a big firecracker. That's going to be
7: lit. He said, it's a dangerous operation. You know, don't let anybody tell you otherwise.
6: So don't go unless you're prepared that something could go terribly wrong.
7: That's about as as straightforward as you can get. I mean, to have the captain of the ship tell you that straight up in his hotel room, you're going to believe him.
6: But I think we were in a place where we wanted to go so badly You know, you wonder
4: how much you processed. Well, I think when you want something badly enough, you're willing to take whatever risk there is. And it was a dream. It was, for all of us, it was, you know, when you have a dream, you're willing to risk for it.
7: And now we're down to, one of us is gonna fly on the shuttle. Tomorrow, they'll let you know.
6: I barely got any sleep the entire night. And the next day, we got to
7: NASA headquarters. We were waiting to have our ride over to the White House for the announcement. Vice President Bush would be announcing that. It was a surprise on national television. And like, And the winner is? We were not in favor of that a bit. We need
4: to know we can't go into this press conference in front of the whole world and find out that we didn't make it. The deputy came in.
7: She could tell we're like, you know, pretty nervous, all, 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 waiting for this big moment.
4: Krista was talking about her husband having to take care of the kids while she was gone, and he was giving them cornflakes for breakfast all the time. All of a sudden,
7: the deputy, she just turned to Krista and said, Chris you better buy a lot more cornflakes. And she goes, what?
4: Your husband is going to have to give your kids lots of cornflakes now because you are going to be the teacher in space.
7: So, there it was. And we were kind of caught off guard. That was the
4: biggest disappointment, right after Ann told us.
7: Um, When you get that close, then it's very emotional.
4: One of
6: the female candidates got really upset. Another one of the male candidates got really
4: upset. If they were, they did not show it. I mean, we all had gotten to know each other to the point where we were... Truly happy for whoever got it.
6: This other candidate and I walked into the bathroom and the other candidate made this disparaging comment about Krista's selection. And oh my God, you know, the door opens and out comes Krista.
2: You can sir. Well, we're here here today to announce the first private citizen passenger in the history of space flight.
7: Then we head over to the White House.
2: And let me say, I thought I was a world traveler, uh, but this uh, tops anything I've tried. And first, the backup teacher who will make the flight if the winner can't, Barbara Morgan of the McCall Donnelly Elementary School in McCall, Idaho. Congratulations, and we have a little...
7: Of course, uh, we already knew it was Krista, but nobody said anything. You know, we we were trying to present an image of, oh, they're going to announce somebody. I hope it's me still.
2: (laughs) And the winner, the teacher who will be going into space, Krista McAuliffe. Where is is that you? (laughs) Krista teaches in Concord High School in Concord, New Hampshire. She teaches high school uh, social studies. She plans to keep a journal of her experiences in space. Well, I'm personally looking forward to uh, reading that journal someday. Good luck, Krista, and God bless all of you. Thank you very much for coming. And you too get one of these. Uh,
4: I remember Krista's words. She'd had time to prepare something.
3: I've made nine wonderful friends over the last two weeks. And when that shuttle goes, they might be one body. (laughs) But there's going to be ten souls that I'm taking with me.
2: Thank you.
1: We'll be back in a minute.
3: is here. My emphasis is going to be, look what's out there. This is your world. I mean, let's get prepared for it and to get teachers excited about that future.
1: Krista McAuliffe had been a teacher for more than a decade. She and her husband, Stephen, were also busy raising an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. Krista was 36 when she got selected to go to space.
3: But why McAuliffe was picked over the others, NASA didn't say. I really don't know. Um... I've got nine strong teachers behind me right now, and any one of us is well qualified to do this.
4: Krista was definitely the right person, yeah. She just was one of those people you just like to be around. She was just a really sweet person. Suddenly, she was a celebrity. McAuliffe and her family were paraded along Main Street and featured on the front page. Has it all hit you yet?
3: No, no, I don't think so. I still can't believe that I'm going to actually be going into that shuttle. It just, it, it just really doesn't seem possible. Maybe when I'm on the launch pad, it will.
4: She just had a very charismatic way of interacting with people. She's very, very sharp, very smart. She knew what her mission was and what NASA wanted her to do. What are you most excited about?
3: Seeing the Earth from that perspective of of that small planet, you know, it's such a big place here, but being able to look at it from a new perspective, and I hope I can bring that wonder and that excitement back to the students.
7: Maybe just a little bit of of fright, too?
3: Not yet. Um, Maybe when I'm strapped in and those rockets are going off underneath me, there will be, but space flight today really seems safe.
1: The mission of the Challenger crew would be to put a couple of satellites into orbit, one for communications, and another to study Halley's Comet. Krista and her backup Barbara Morgan began preparing for a January 1986 launch. You know, the next phase, Krista and Barb started obviously
7: doing a lot more training, but then the rest of us went to work.
6: NASA thought that the eight of us had been through so much that they weren't, I guess, willing or ready to turn us loose.
4: We had a lot to do. We had, to, we didn't have much time at home that summer. We had to go back to NASA and put together Krista's lesson plans.
2: History teacher Krista McAuliffe will be making history herself as she teaches two classes from the orbiter. They will be broadcast live from
5: the shuttle the day before landing, and they will be beamed to schools all across the nation. The first lesson is called the ultimate field trip.
4: We tried to instill in the students the lore of it, the adventure of it, the importance of it, the fact that they could be the first Martians someday.
7: Now we were getting into full gear.
5: The months and weeks of training and waiting have now shrunk to days and hours. The Challenger stands poised on Launch Pad 39B as mission 51L
7: nears liftoff.
3: There are two things that the commander told me to do. And he said, the first one, he said, I want you to have fun. And the second one, he said, look out the window.
7: Well, so, um, of course, it's exciting time. As we're getting ready for the launch. Thousands of school children, teachers, and well-wishers
2: packed the Kennedy Space Center this weekend in anticipation of the big event.
7: And all the 114 space ambassadors were again invited by NASA to attend. We went down. My wife joined me.
6: It was a big reunion. All of us were all there.
7: So that was really nice that NASA did that part.
6: McAuliffe's parents say the
2: 37-year-old New Hampshire schoolteacher remains calm. But they admitted they were not.
3: I'm starting to get a little knot in my stomach right now. (laughs) I don't know what it's going to be later.
6: The day before, it was beautiful weather. It was warm and sunny.
4: But a cloudy and rainy forecast is threatening tomorrow's launch, and officials here are keeping their fingers
1: crossed. Tonight, as he tried to relax, the space teacher's husband, Stephen, said a delay wouldn't bother him a bit. Mm-hmm. I'd be thrilled if there was a delay. I'd be much happier if it went up
2: when everybody thought it was perfect than to go up on a chance basis.
6: <laughs> and they aborted it then...
2: We're always interested in the safety of the flight crew and the safety of the shuttle. So based on those considerations, we decided to reschedule until Monday morning.
4: We went back into this hotel. My brother was with me because he was a space nut. And I remember we watched the Super Bowl.
2: Walter
5: Payton, Mike Ditka, Hungry Chicago, finally champions on this January day
4: in New Orleans. Now we go out the next day.
2: The crew is on its way out to the launch pad where they'll be
5: loaded up and get ready to go. And they are now uh, preparing to close the hatch.
4: Well, hey, we got a problem. i remove one of the screws. The mission was called off because of a um, hatch that wouldn't close.
5: It uh, evidently has a stripped screw that is stuck, and they're going to have to drill it out.
4: A half hour later, the drill arrived. But that only brought more frustration. It had a dead battery.
0: And this week's effort to get Challenger into orbit has turned into a comedy of errors. We
2: have scrubbed the launch attempt for today. The flight of Krista McAuliffe now has been put off five times.
6: That night, a group of us went to the IHOP just for coffee and dessert and We all had on all the shuttle memorabilia. We all had our Krista pins on and all of that. And the waitress was really funny and engaging, laughing with us and coming back and forth. And so she said, you girls have all these pins on you. What's going on at NASA now? And we said, oh, our friend Krista, she's going to be the first teacher in space. You know, haven't you heard? Well, it was unbelievable this pallor came across her face and this coffee pot is beginning now to tremble in her hand. And she said, I think we all need to gather hands and say a prayer. And we're all looking confused and we all, we all take each other's hands and I don't remember what she said, but, She left us and she never came back.
7: It was our understanding that it would really be about a three to five day delay. So we flew back home. I had a lot of things to do back home. I was trying to get up a, one of those large old satellite dishes going at my school so the kids could watch live. I was working with the dealer and we were at his office because they have a dish set up in their, their sales showroom. And his um, mother worked in the office, elderly lady, and she said, uh, well, they're launching that thing.
5: What the country's space agency has learned in recent weeks is that this is a difficult general time of year to try and launch a space shuttle.
7: And I I said, oh, no, that's probably a, a video because they really, they have to, they'll have to get it ready for the launch. That's going to take several days. That's why I'm back home. She goes, well, they're counting down right now. I said, you're kidding uh, me.
3: Just getting down to about three minutes and they think they can do it. They
5: are counting. The ice is cleared away and Challenger should be going away very soon. Let's go down to the Kennedy Space Center and take a look at Challenger sitting on the pad as they continue. I was
7: so angry. I was so mad. After all of this, I'm sitting in a showroom watching this on television instead of being at the launch. I could not believe it.
6: Our hotel was in Orlando,
4: so traveled from Orlando to Kennedy and we had the bleachers we're three miles i think it was from the launch site and i was freezing cold oh it was so cold i'm so glad i had a trench coat and they were showing pictures on tv of the icicles dripping off the superstructure
2: all of
5: america is watching and waiting and uh, the children in new hampshire are hoping that krista mcauliffe goes this time they watched yesterday and it didn't happen
3: i'll be real psyched when it goes up though i wish it'd go up i want to see it
6: <laughs> and so We're standing there, we're in the VIP site. And in fact, I had just talked to Krista's parents and they said, oh my gosh, we've heard so much about you from Krista. And I said, you know, this is the ultimate expedition. Everything pales in comparison to what your daughter is going to do now. And all of a sudden.
1: T-minus 21
5: seconds and the solid uh, rocket booster engine gimbal now underway.
1: T minus 15 seconds.
6: Christus finally gonna to get to go on her ultimate
7: field trip.
1: T minus 10 seconds, 9 8. We we'll
7: do the seven, countdown and we six. watch it. We have
5: and lift off. Lift off of the 25th Space Shuttle mission, and it has cleared the tower. I have
4: And when it it launched, we're all in the stands. We're going, go, Krista, go. You know, hey, Krista, give me a C, give me an H.
5: And across from me, hundreds of school kids jumping up and down and cheering as this space shuttle takes off with teacher Krista McAuliffe on board.
4: And we can hear over the loudspeakers. uh, You can hear them talking. Go and throttle up. Everybody is smiling. And then we see it. What's happened? Vic, did something strange happen then? And we see these contrails that are going out to the side, and, and it's like, was this supposed to happen? I'm looking
6: aghast because I know something's terribly wrong.
5: Looks like a couple of the uh, solid rocket boosters uh, blew away from the side of the shuttle
2: in an explosion.
4: There was nothing coming over the PA system. We actually did not know what had happened. I kept yelling,
6: Scobie, Scobie! I'm yelling to the commander, get them down, bring them down, Scobie, bring them back.
7: And we're watching that on live television, and, you know, the... I think one of the announcers said a major malfunction has happened.
0: Flight controllers here looking very carefully at the situation. Obviously, a major malfunction.
4: It was dead silence. Nobody understood. I was with Krista's parents, they were right behind me. And it was, everybody's looking on, speechless, just not able to say or do anything. And then we started seeing all this stuff falling down. And I remember seeing all this debris and thinking, they're still alive, they're okay, they're okay, they're gonna fall down and they're gonna be recovered and they'll bring them back.
7: And I just thought, I don't believe so. It's, they're gone.
5: Ladies and gentlemen, I'd planned to speak to you tonight to report on the State of the Union, but the events of earlier today have led me to change those plans. Today is a day for mourning and remembering. We mourn seven heroes, Michael Smith, Dick Scobie, Judith Resnick, Ronald McNair, Ellison Onizuka, Gregory Jarvis, and Krista McAuliffe. We mourn their loss as a nation together. And I want to say something to the schoolchildren of America who were watching the live coverage of the shuttle's takeoff. I know it's hard to understand, but sometimes painful things like this happen. It's all part of the process of exploration and discovery. The future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. It belongs to the brave.
7: What's next? What do I need to do next?
6: I knew I had to call my mother. I I I just couldn't call her. I just couldn't. I was like, what do I say? I mean, her daughter was could have been on that flight.
7: The phones lit up. People wanted to get a hold of me and be on their show and explain what went wrong. And, of course, I didn't have those answers.
4: They would say, oh, how do you feel? How did you feel? What did you think? And it's like... You think I felt, you know I didn't say that, but that was what I was thinking, and it was really hard. And we finally just stopped answering calls because I couldn't deal with it. It was just too devastating. It was hard to take in. It still wakes me
2: And here in Texas, thousands of people have come in person to a memorial
7: service. You know, we kind of gathered and, you know, emotionally supported each other.
6: The band played God Bless America. The NASA T-38s flew overhead.
2: And across the skies, the missing man formation.
7: From the highs, highs, highs of the July to the low lows in January. So it was just a bad time.
6: People would say to my mom, weren't you happy that kathleen wasn't on the shuttle mom's same reaction was yes yes my prayers were answered and i said what is this that you tell everybody your your prayers were answered she said oh i remember how much she wanted to fly but i just prayed to god every night that he could take you but he had to bring you back
7: well, you know, a lot of people ask me that. Many times they would say, aren't you glad that wasn't you? First thing through your mind is, I'm glad that wasn't me. Uh, it's like I lost my friends.
4: And there were times, I know you don't believe this, that I said to myself, I wish it had been me because I didn't have little kids at home. My kids were grown and gone. They didn't need me anymore. And she had these little kids still. And they needed her. Her kids needed her. It just seemed so unfair. Even if I had known it was going to happen, I don't know that I would have backed out. I just don't know.
5: It's official today. NASA is scrubbing the next three civilian shuttle flights. All three put off indefinitely because of the Challenger tragedy.
4: This is the end of the space program. I actually thought that, too. This is the end of the space program.
7: But I think it was important that we showed that you can't let a tragedy or an accident stop things, that you have to still move forward and you still have to try.
4: She knew the importance of it, and it would have been letting her down if the program had ended. And if those of us who really wanted to go decided we didn't want to go because of what happened to her, it would have been a dis- dishonor, a disrespect to her memory to give it up. And I just felt like for her, we had to continue. For all of them that died. Oh,
6: I definitely still wanted to go into space. I was, I was ready and willing.
4: I would have gone that next week. Yeah, we all kind of looked at it that way. Well, we would have all gone. One of the things that NASA did by keeping all of us on for the nine of us for another year was to send us around to promote the importance of sending humanity into space.
7: It's still important to challenge kids. It's still important for the future to have math science and, you know, trying to find solutions to old
1: problems. And that was still our goal. Investigators eventually found the cause of the Challenger disaster. A seal on a rocket booster had failed in the freezing temperatures, causing a fuel tank to ignite. NASA spent two and a half years developing new safety systems before space shuttle launches finally resumed. On August 8th, 2007, two decades after the Challenger, the space Shuttle Endeavor three, launched one, from the Kennedy Space Center. Zero
5: and liftoff of Space Shuttle Endeavor, expanding the International Space Station while creating a
1: classroom in space. On board was Krista McAuliffe's backup Barbara Morgan, not as a teacher in space, but as a fully trained astronaut.
4: She was dedicated more than the rest of us. She stuck with NASA for Oh, gosh, what did it take? 20 years? Barbara
5: Morgan seated down on the mid-deck, Morgan racing towards space on the wings of a legacy.
4: She was a much more private person than Krista, but a sweetheart. Well, she was my secret buddy. (laughs) It's great being up here. It it takes a
6: little getting used to. All of yesterday, I felt like I was
4: upside down the whole time.
7: You know, that was kind of our goal, was that one of us would fly, and so finally, you know, Barb would have her chance.
4: And it was such a feeling of jubilation. I mean, it was like, okay, we're back. We're back.
7: And we are. They ended the teacher in space program, but they started the educator astronaut program. And so there have been quite a few teachers now who have left their classroom, and they now work for NASA, and they are trained as astronauts. So the teacher in space program had a big impact
3: Looking at the world as as a unit, the people I'm sure who went to the moon because they were able to see the whole world as this globe, came back with a much better perspective of why we all should work together.
4: Krista was just a genuine person. I think of her not in terms of the accident, but in terms of her life and how much fun she was and how dedicated and She was a good mother, a good wife, a good friend.
3: I just would have liked to have known her a lot longer than I did. Because we are pretty fragile when you look at the whole universe. Um, So maybe as more and more people get out and get that perspective, things are going to change.
0: Evan Chung is one year's senior producer. If you're a fan of the show, I'd love for you to sign up for Slate Plus. The support of Slate Plus members is crucial to our work. Members also get to listen to one year without any ads. And they get a special behind-the-scenes episode at the end of the season with me and Evan Chong. If you sign up now, you can get the first three months of your membership for just $15. To get that deal, go to slate.com slash one year plus to join Slate Plus today. That's slate.com slash one year plus. Next time on One Year, 1986. Rumors about Al Capone's buried treasure transfix America. What secrets will Geraldo Rivera's live excavation reveal? We didn't know what we were gonna find. We didn't know if we were gonna find bodies. We didn't know if we were gonna find tunnels. We didn't know if we were going to find riches.
1: What's in there, ladies and gentlemen?
0: This episode of One Year was produced by Evan Chan. It was edited by me, Josh Levine, and Derek John, Slate's Senior Supervising Producer of Narrative Podcasts. Additional production came from Madeline Ducharme, Sophie Summergrad, and Sam Kim. Our senior technical director is Merritt Jacob. Holly Allen created the artwork for this season. You can send us feedback and ideas and memories from 1986 at oneyear at slate.com. And you can call us on the One Year Hotline at 203 343 0777. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you to the NASA History Division and the National Archives in College Park, Maryland. And special thanks to Nikki Winker, Bob Forster, Kathleen Beers, Hilary Fry, Christina Cotarucci, Sol Worthen, Bill Carey, Katie Rayford, Ben Richmond, Caitlin Schneider, Cleo Levin, Seth Brown, Rachel Strong, and Alicia Montgomery, Slate's VP of Audio. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more from 1986.